This week on Raffi Reviews, Raffi Reviews Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Alright, you guys know how this goes by now. I'm going to go through some characters, uh, some notes about the movie, and then the future of the Shazam movie franchise. Um, just overall give you my thoughts um, to sort of avoid spoilers. If you want my quick and dirty review, my review is to see it, no rush. Um, I think Fury of the Gods is a decent superhero movie. Um, I was a big fan of the first Shazam, so a lot of what I liked kind of returns in this one. Not everything. I don't think this one is as good as the first Shazam movie. That being said, there are parts that I think this movie does better. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you like the first one, go see this one, obviously. Um, you know, off the top, I would just recommend Shazam by itself. So, you know, these aren't bad movies, but... I don't think uh, you need to kind of, you know, go out and see it right away. You can wait till it hits streaming. I don't know if it will. I know HBO Max is kind of a dying franchise right now. So, um, you know, just see it at your leisure. But uh, yeah, we're going to talk about characters, notes, and the future of these. I'm going to try to be uh, quick with a lot of these points because I'm trying to shave these down just a little bit. But uh, character-wise, we can start with the headliner. Uh, Asher Angel plays Billy Batson with his uh, dual identity Shazam being played by Zachary Levi. Um, <clears throat> Levi puts in a really good performance. Yet again, I think he's really um, made this role his own. You know, he's uh, he has the kind of humor you would expect from him, but there's also moments where it's a bit more wholesome, it's a bit more genuine. Um, I like Shazam, generally speaking. I think... There is the threat of him becoming too comical. And, you know, I know that's kind of weird to say because this is a character who is literally a kid possessing a man body. You know, and that was kind of the whole joke of the first one. But um, they make it a point to say that Billy is turning uh, 18 uh, a short time after this movie. He's, he's about to turn 18, basically. Um, and not that I need Shazam to be ultra mature... But there's just some scenes where it's hard for me to buy that he would do certain things. Um, I do buy, though, his ongoing kind of uh, struggle in this movie, which is to try and maintain a relationship with his siblings. Um, I think something that is a problem, not because of the way it was done, but because of the lack of time they give it. Like, they make it a point to show that Billy is worried about his siblings growing apart from him. But they also make it a point to show that he isn't ready to accept his foster parents as his parents' parents. Um, there's a whole thing in the beginning where he, even after two years, um, he won't call um, Rosa, his adopted mother, he won't call her mom, you know, like the other kids will. Um, there's also this point, and I, I don't know if this is so much on Billy as it is on Freddie, but there's a point where Freddie acknowledges Billy as his best friend. Which is fine, um, but I think it would have meant more to everyone if he referred to him as his brother, you know? Um, that whole thing about, you know, accepting who your family is, uh, it's just kind of, like, uneven to me. I think there's parts of this where it definitely feels like Billy acknowledged these that they're his family. Um, but from other characters, they don't seem to either reciprocate that or acknowledge it. Like... Like, Billy is worried about his family, but he won't call Rosa his mom. You know, 
Billy recognizes these kids as like his siblings, his his family, and yet Freddie only calls him his best friend. Um, it's not a deal breaker. It's just kind of confusing, and I wish there was more focus on that. And part of it was kind of the driving force in the movie because a lot of like my one of my main issues with this movie is that it doesn't have sort of that emotional, you know, down to earth kind of. Uh, like connection to the audience you know the whole thing with the first movie was watching this kid have to you know not only accept his new family but acknowledge that they're the ones that want him and his real family doesn't you know um and learning to accept that he's in a place and that he has to move on and accept that these people want him you know that's something that people can understand like the audience can 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 understand that um the tether of relatability here is that Billy is worried that his family is drifting apart from him and that everyone kind of has their own thing going on and he doesn't. Um, which, if that was the case, I wish the movie did more with that other than show that the team is disorganized because that's kind of the extent of it, you know? Um, another problem I have <laughs> with um, with Shazam here is for a majority of the film, it it's Shazam, you know? Um, and with the other kids, I can sort of understand why you want to show them more as their superhero alter egos, because we only got to see their superhero forms at the end of the first movie. But the first movie, I think, had a really good kind of balancing act of here's stuff for Billy to do, and here's stuff for Shazam to do. Um, in this movie, while there is a decent, uh, I would say, balance between the kid characters and the superhero characters with the rest of the kids, um... Asher Angel shows up as, like, Billy Batson only, like, three or four times in this movie. Um, and it's kind of jarring. And it's especially weird because... And I get, like... Not that I get it, but, like... When the main villain has the ability to take the hero's powers away, but it doesn't actually affect the main character, it, it kind of... It's confusing. Um, when they introduced that element, I thought, oh, maybe this is how... Because I don't have a problem with there being multiple Shazams. But I do think that there's a practical error with that. Like, if there's... <laughs> one Shazam is, is plenty, you know? But if there's, like, seven Shazams flying around, you start to wonder if any threat could actually, like, meet that challenge. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But what I'm saying is, when they introduce this thing that can take the kids' powers away, my mind tells me, oh, maybe this is how they're going to just kind of shrink the family down to, like, three of them or just one of them having powers. Um, I also sort of expected, oh, they're going to do the superhero thing where all of them lose their powers and they have to solve the problem without their powers, but they don't end up doing that either. So it's a little weird, and it's a little disappointing that you know, Billy as, like, a human character doesn't really get to do a lot of stuff in this movie. It's mostly him as, as Zachary Le Levi, you know, the superhero. Um, so that's a little confusing. But we can talk about some other characters. Um, funny enough, the person who gets a bit more human stuff to do is Jack Grazer, who plays Freddy. And uh, was Adam Brody plays his superhero persona captain everyman or no sorry <laughs> that's uh that's a family guy jo joke or a simpsons joke it's captain every power 
is what his stupid made it. Just, just, ugh. I, I don't like that the name thing is kind of a running joke in these movies, but whatever, I'll get over it. Um, but yeah, Jack Grazer, um, he's one of the kids from, uh, what's that show? Stranger Things. You, you know who he is. Um, he's, he's back, he's Freddy, and, you know, for as much as he did in the first one, he does a lot more in this one, which I appreciate. Um, you get to see him unsuperheroed for the most time. You get the idea that he, like, this is like a power fantasy for him, right? The whole first movie, he, like, loves superheroes and wants to, like, you know, he idolizes them. Um, and he wants to help Billy understand his powers. So once, once Freddy gets powers of his own, of course he'd be more, like, self-interested and, and want to do things on his own and be a solo act superhero. Um, again, that is a super good plot line to have in your sequel to Shazam, right? Like, like your best friend, as we're calling him, or your foster brother, who has been helping you along this whole time understand your powers, he gets his own powers, and he wants to do his own thing with them, you know? That would have been a super interesting story to explore, but we have other stuff going on here. Um, yeah, as it stands, he does pretty well. I think I think there are moments where Freddy gets exactly what's coming to him with how much of a, of a jerk he can be. Um, but again, he gets a romance plot. He gets the... Uh, he gets to be bullied and then, you know, have funny things to say. He's he's well written in this and I think he's more endearing. It's like it's like the endearingness of the character kind of makes up for the brashness and, and sort of like the cockiness of the character. Um and I also think, and I'm I'm always gonna feel this way, uh, I think it's super good to have this kind of representation for uh you know, the handicapable, uh, you know, people out there. Uh, I think Freddy's a really good representation of that. Um, Grace Curry returns as Mary, as Mary uh, and because she's, you know, significantly older than her siblings, uh, her Shazam form is just her, but like a little taller, I guess, um, which is fun. It kind of plays into something in the comics where like, if you're an adult who uses the Shazam powers, you're just going to look like your adult self. You're not going to age up. Um, so that's a good way of kind of showing, oh, well, you know, if if we ever do a time jump and Asher Angel isn't old enough or doesn't look enough like Zachary Levi, we'll just have Zachary Levi play adult Billy Batson anyway, you know? Maybe that's what we'll do. Um, but she's cool in this. Um, they make it a point to show that she, again, she's an adult now. They have a whole hangover joke in this movie, which is which I think is really good. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have too much to say about, about Mary in this. Uh, she does a good job. I, oh, they, they do make it a point to have her be, like, a point of connection where, where, like, she aged out of the family, and so she's trying to work and trying to do school, and she's, she knows that she is probably gonna have to end up moving out so that the parents, uh, the foster parents aren't, like, you know, feeding a mouth. Because, like, when you age out of the foster system, obviously the government gives you less money. So they make it a point of that. And again, that would have been a super good plot for this. What happens when, you know, just like Mary, Billy's going to age out of the foster system. His foster parents aren't going to be, aren't going to, are going to get money for having Billy for like, for like having him in the house, you know, what happens then? But like this movie doesn't, it doesn't really illustrate that point of like, oh, the parents are getting less money, you know, Mary has to work in order to, like, help with, like, feeding the family. 
that would have been interesting. And I, I think that would have given Billy something to do if, like, Billy and Freddie got, like, part-time jobs or something. Like, you know, it's like the Spider-Man thing. It's like being a, being a student and being a superhero is enough responsibility on its own. But then you throw a work life on top of that and you make it, like, sort of an obligation. He has to do it. Otherwise, his family isn't going to be able to support having all these kids and living in this big house. Um but again, we can't really do those human elements because we're dealing with like superhero god stuff for this whole movie. Um, but yeah, Grace Curry does a great job as Mary. Um, I'd love if she got like a spinoff or something because I think she's really cool in these movies. I'm not upset that her costume is red. I know why it's red. Um, but for the sake of like not making her look derivative of Shazam, I know they're all derivative of him, but you know what I mean? Like everyone else gets their own freaking Power Ranger color. Just let Mary wear the white costume she gets in the comics, just to separate her, kind of. Um, and then <laughs> the other kids, like, as we go down, they have, like, less and less to do. Even though the whole point of this is that the kids are off doing their own things. Um, Ian Shen, as well as uh, Ross Butler, play Eugene. Uh, he's the smart sibling. His ongoing thing in this movie is trying to map out all of the magical doors that are in the Rock of Eternity. Um, I don't think that really comes up that often. <laughs> like, like they make it a point to say that he's mapping them out. And then where there comes a time where they need to search for something through the doors. No, I, I think they do check them off a list. So yeah, him mapping out the doors does kind of come into play. Um, that's the most he gets. That's interesting enough. I really wish Shazam had like a cartoon or something. Cause having that being an ongoing story, like where Eugene's adventures all, are always about these weird doors, that's fun. I like that. Um, I hope I pronounced this right. Hovan Armand and DJ Katrona uh, play Pedro. He's like the soft-spoken sibling. Um, in the last movie, he struggled with grades. And they actually come back to that, sort of, because they're having... Uh, was it Pedro? Finds like a magic pe pencil that's like sentient, and he names it Steve... And he asks Steve to write all of his book reports, which I think is really funny. Um, unfortunately, that's like Pedro's thing in this movie. He's like, hey, guys, I know a talking pencil. Oh, not even talking. I know a magic pencil. That is my contribution to this movie. <laughs> I know a talking pencil. Or I know a magic pencil. Um, and I'm gay. And everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah, well, we all knew. But like, all right. Like, again, you know, representation counts. Um, I'm not disparaging that. I just wish Pedro had more to do in this movie than, like, Magic Pencil, Man in Magazine. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, da -da 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 -da. Faith Herman and Megan Good play Darla. She's the youngest of the siblings. Um, she's a lot of fun. <laughs> like, you can, you can sort of tell that all the adult superhero actors were told to, like, hey, act like a kid, right? Be a little loud, go woohoo, jump around a little bit, be a kid. Um, but because Megan has to portray the youngest sibling, this, like, little girl who loves unicorns and Skittles and ponies and stuff, um, she gets to be the most kind of, like, happy-go-lucky. Like, even in trying times, she's, like, smiling and, and going, oh, man, this is cool. Like, n not even, like, kind of fully <laughs> taking in what the, the stakes are in a situation. Um, she's super fun. She steals a cat. There's a Tawny Tiger reference. It's pretty good. Um, and her... <laughs> her being... 
I did not think that the Chekhov's gun of this movie was going to be an apple and some Skittles. But the Skittles end up being a pretty good resolution. Um, the whole unicorn scene is just terrific. I, I love the way they depict the unicorns and and how Darla just has no, doesn't even care. Just like, I know you're good. You're unicorns. You're magical. I'm not afraid of you. I love that. That's really good for her. Um, and then some of the magical characters here. We have, oh, I'm going to butcher this name. Digimon, I almost want to say Digimon, it's D-J-I-M-O-N, Jimon Honso, I think that's how you say his name, um, he plays the wizard, um, whose actual name is Shazam, but I'm gonna call him the wizard, um, again, a bit of a bit part in the first movie, because he dies in the first movie, uh, only in the second movie, it's like, psych, no, he doesn't die, he just ends up in the god realm, and he's a prisoner, um, good to know that death doesn't really mean anything, <laughs> like twice over um but yeah he plays the wizard and it's fun getting to see him interact with the, the cast a little bit more he mainly interacts with freddie and that's a really good um pairing especially because you know he's already met billy um him teaming up with freddie it's good I, I wish more came out of that like there's a point where like uh, the wizard does acknowledge that freddie is like worth having the powers that he has um I just wish that, like, Freddy himself took something from meeting the wizard. Um, I, I, guess, I guess they do kind of work it out at the end. But, um, yeah, he's pretty good in this. I like that he gets to just keep on keeping on at the end of this and be his own guy. Um, it does kind of... It kind of concerns me that he's just, like, out in the world carrying the staff around now. But, I don't know, maybe he's a wizard. He can, he can take care of himself. Um, yeah, he's pretty good in, like, the the origin as to how he got the staff and obtained powers and, you know, why he chose Billy, all of that is kind of explored upon, which I think is good. I think, I think bringing the wizard back and having him react to what Billy has created for himself, um, is really good. I would have liked to see it again, expanded on more. Like if that was part of the main plot, like if it was, if it was just as direct as the wizard comes back and maybe he doesn't like approve of what Billy's been doing. I don't know. That would have been interesting. Okay, so getting into the villains here, we have uh, Rachel Zegler as Athena. Or sorry, Anthea. Anthea, yeah. Anthea. She also goes by Anne. Um, she is a love interest to Freddy as well as one of the three daughters of Atlas. She's the youngest daughter. Um, you have Helen Mirren who plays Hespera, who's the, I guess, eldest of the daughters of atlas and then the middle child is calypso who's played by lucy Liu. um all three of these actresses uh really put in the work helen mirren and lucy Liu are especially you know experienced actresses experiences experienced actresses um who obviously have a lot of fun playing the role that they're playing my thing is that they feel kind of generic you know um i think there was a real missed opportunity here in terms of again making the story kind of relatable or grounded in any way. Like, the the three of them, the, the daughters of Atlas, their whole thing is they want to recre recreate their world of gods and monsters and such um, with the purpose of avenging their father, uh, Atlas, and, you know, the rest of the gods like him. The issue I have is that, like, so you have Billy Batson over here who's worried about his family separating from each other and him losing a connection that he worked so hard to, to build. And he doesn't want to be abandoned again. And then over, over here you have three sisters who are postulating and fighting so hard 
to do something that might not even be the right thing and clearly objecting to any sort of communication with the humans, being so stubborn and set forward on their ways, um, all for the purpose of avenging their father. You have two characters whose motivations involve a connection to their family. Um, and you don't do anything with it. <laughs> like, at all. Like, they kind of, kind of do it with Anthea because she wants to spare the humans. And, like, she and Hespera are both coming around to the idea of, like, well, we could we could recreate the god world without messing up the humans. Like, we got what we wanted. But Calypso's, you know, dead set on having full revenge and taking out the humans. The humans are nothing to us. We're gods. Like... But you don't really do anything with, like, connecting those stories. Like, you kind of have a thing where, like, obviously Anthea trades sides because she's in love with Freddy. <laughs> and obviously Hespera, at the last minute, comes around because, you know, Shazam wants to do something selfless and she kind of respects that. And I, I don't need Calypso to come around on her opinion either. I'm just saying I wish there was a bit more, I don't know, a focus on it. You know, like, I, I, the most I can think that, like, these characters have an effect on Billy is he he comes to a conclusion that he needs to sacrifice himself to do the right thing so that his family can live. Um, but, like, nothing about what the sisters are doing really relates to any sort of sacrifice. If anything, they're sacrificing the humans' lives. Um so I'm really not sure, dude. Like, I, I get I get where the Sisters of Atlas are coming from. Where, like, oh, you killed our dad, now you're running around with, like, the powers of our relatives. That's really messed up. Like, I get that part. And I would get it if their goal was just to make the Shazam family mortals and then, like, leave. Or make them more... Like, if, like if they showed up, made them mortal, and then left, but there was another problem that can only be solved by the Shazam family having powers. And, like, that was the problem... I could sort of understand it a bit better, you know, because they are gods. But this, and again, I, I don't, I like the idea of like the old depiction of gods where they really don't care about humans and they're just these little playthings that don't matter. Like that I really not enjoy. <laughs> I guess I like it conceptually because it, it is how gods originally were in mythology. You know, like, we got lucky with characters like Thor and Wonder Woman and stuff, but, like, in terms of mythology across the board, a lot of them didn't, had no mind of humans, you know? Even if, even if the gods, or the daughters of Atlas were like, we're gonna show up, we're gonna take away their powers, and then we're just gonna enslave humanity. Like, that would be a bit more understanding than where they go from there. And again, it's a little disappointing that there's never a connection between that. Like, you really want your hero and your villain to have some connective tissue. Like, having Calypso think that avenging her family, you know, the only way to get that done is by taking out the Shazam family and taking out humanity. It doesn't really mean anything if, if Billy doesn't have that moment of like, oh man, I've been the jerk. You know, like you kind of get him being like over controlling, but I don't know. I feel like you don't get enough connective tissue between the hero and the villain for there to be a grabbable theme, you know, and I don't think you need a complicated villain, but I think you need a villain where their motives are at least tangible, you know, like, like the Green Goblin from Spider-Man 1, he's not a deep character, you know. 
but you get the sense of like he's a character that struggles with identity and he's a character who when given power will misuse it whereas with spider-man he's a character who's only confident when he's spider-man he's when he you know peter parker puts on the mask and suddenly he feels a thousand times better and at the same time he has that power he has the power that so many would use um you know for bad intentions and he doesn't and it's just that simple you know that's the difference between them but that's also the connective between them whereas shazam and calypso could have had and i mean and i really center on calypso because like for as much as helen mirren does this hespera lucy Liu is clearly the one that is going to end the movie like she's the one who's going to be the main bad guy you know um and I guess, like, if you're going to have Hespera be the relatable one, it would have been nice for her and Billy to have a conversation that was a bit more about that, a bit more about why they're doing what they're doing. And you had the chance to do it when they captured Hespera and put her in the Rock of Eternity. You could have had Shazam and Hespera have a conversation about parents and about doing the right thing for the parents and for the family. Um, and you didn't. And I think that's kind of the, the disappointing part. Along with the fact that these two characters, these three characters, I don't know anything about. I don't even know if they're from the comics. All right, a couple of notes here. Um, the first one I have is that there are Shazam themes, but no Shazam villains. So there's a lot of stuff about this movie that has, like, stuff from Shazam comics that is, like, that fits here, right? Like, them turning the Rock of Eternity into, like, a rec room, you know, with, like, arcade machines and stuff and TVs, that's really cool. I like that a lot. That gives me, like, Ninja Turtle vibes, and I love that. Um, I love the magic pencil. I love the magical doors. I love that, like, like the Rock of Eternity is, like, this mysterious place that, like, the kids turn into, like, their project. You know, it's a place only they can go, and that makes it feel special, but it also makes it feel different than the last time we saw it, you know? Um, and again, the humor, the interactions with the parents... You know, uh, even, like, the monster designs were toned down in a really good way. My big gripe with the first one was that the, the Seven Sin monsters were just way too, like, raw, uh, uh, Todd McFarlane looking, you know? Um, how the characters look, how they act, you know, even the fact that they mess up stuff. A lot of that feels on brand for a Shazam movie. But like I said before, the Daughters of Atlas... It's a really weird choice. I get the kind of story they wanted to tell. They wanted to explore the powers a bit more. Um, but I think it came at a, at a cost of personality. Because even if... Even if the Daughters of Atlas were, like, you know... A, like, the best-known villains of Shazam in the comics ever... They look... They don't... I don't know. They don't have an interesting look. And I think that, for the most part, personality-wise... They're too kind of stoic and serious you know, for this movie. Um, I think if you showed a bit more of them having fun with, like, the the chaos they're causing, especially because you set up this whole thing where, like, they all have these individual powers and they see humans as, like, little insects, it would have been kind of fun if they at least, hand, uh, like, hammed it up a little bit, you know? Like, had a bit more fun with what they were doing because, like, they're gods and they can do anything according to them, you know? Like... Shazam villains are weird sometimes. Like, you have caterpillars and giant robots and, and cavemen uh, and evil scientists. Like, you have some weird characters 
you have demons, like you have such a wide variety of characters you could use to fight Shazam. And you go with, you know, three three characters who could have just easily been like villains from a Wonder Woman movie, you know, or background extras from a Wonder Woman movie. Um, you know, I, I think personality wise, they're just kind of straight up villains who are, you know, they I would say humorless, <laughs> you know. Um their powers are interesting, I guess. I I really... So Calypso I get, right? Being like a god of chaos or something and corrupting people with her voice and making them do purple man stuff. Um, I really liked Anthea's power of angles. That's a really cool way of tying angle man into the DC movie universe. Um, and the way they present it is really cool. I loved it. I love when Doctor Strange did, the, did that stuff. That's fun. Um, but like Hespera is the god of elements. What the fuck did she do with elements? She makes a force field and she freezes people in 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 motion. Not like freezes them with ice. I mean like presses the the, the stop button and just pauses them in time. Like just make I guess if it was like for like if she was like a god of a goddess of force, I'd make I get it. But they say that she's a goddess of elements and I like I don't know. There's there's a weird kind of line between telekinesis and the power to control elements. And I think, I don't think she crosses enough into, like, she wasn't throwing fireballs or anything. That would have been kind of fun. Um, yeah, I, don't, I didn't like the villains for this. And again, it has nothing to do with the casting. It has nothing to do with, like, you know, what their goals are. Like, th- their whole motivation is a problem in itself, as I said before. Um, but just in the way that they are portrayed, the way that they look, the way that their powers work, um... I don't think it was enough to kind of fit into this. It felt really jarring. And again, I didn't have this complaint so much in the first Shazam movie because it was the first one, you know? I, I think, though, now looking back, the Seven Deadly Sins looking the way they did kind of set a bad uh, example for what kind of villains we're going to see in these Shazam movies. Um, which brings me to my, to my next point. I'm going to try my best to not go too long on this one. Um... I really, if, I'm really disappointed still that we couldn't have gotten a Shazam Black Adam movie, you know, the whole idea that a character would be upset that Billy has the powers of a god and it not being Black Adam is a real missed opportunity. I, I talked about this when I, when I reviewed um, Black Adam, but like my pitch has always been Black Adam returns to the present day realizes that Billy and all of his siblings have the powers of the wizard and either steals the power or just tries to capture the kids. Not just because he's like, well, only I can have the power. No, you want Black Adam to be an anti-hero, then, you know, establish that what he's doing does have a just cause. He's not just doing it because he wants to be the only super-powered Shazam champion. No, he's doing it because he doesn't believe children should have these god powers. You know, and that's the movie. And if you did it that way, you'd have, you know, just enough room to talk about the backstory of the wizard and, you know, why he chose who he chose. But you'd have more time to explore the family elements of these characters. You'd be able to talk about how the family doesn't have as much money as before. Or how Mary has to work and maybe Billy has to get a job eventually. Or you can talk about how Freddy's going off and being a solo superhero. You can do all that. If you just cut out the daughters and put Black Adam in there, because we already know what Black Adam's deal is. Unfortunately, that's not what happened because 
contracts and I don't know. Hopefully we'll get that movie one day. Um, let's see. The Shazam family being bad superheroes doesn't really play into the plot. They kind of reference this a couple times, but like they're not good <laughs> at being superheroes. Uh, which again, after like two years of them having superpowers, you would kind of expect that. Um, I almost wish that like this movie took place like two weeks after the first one instead of two years. So that the movie could be about Shazam and his siblings learning how to be a team, you know? Because um, that's a whole element that really isn't... They show it at the end of the first one, but you would expect a sequel to further explore that since the first one was a majority of just Billy being a superhero. Um, let's see, I wish we saw more of the family doing their own things. Yeah, I made this point earlier. Like Other than like the magic door situation, you don't see Eugene have an interest of his own. Other than the pencil, Pedro doesn't have much to do in this. Um, Darla gets a little bit more. She kind of pranks Mary. She feeds the Skittles to the unicorn. That's kind of it for her. It would have been nice to see them get stuff to do. Um, even the parents. It would have been nice to like, get something from the parents. I don't know why at the end of this movie... Because, again, the thing with the parents is you would expect them to talk about how they don't have as much money as they used to, and it's, you know, it's harder times out there. Maybe the kids got to start getting jobs. Or maybe the parents don't spend enough time. Like, okay, here you go. The kids are doing more as superheroes, or doing more as superheroes kind of out on their own, separated from each other, because the parents aren't home enough to spend time with them and bring them together. The parents aren't home as much because they're both working their asses off to support this household now that Mary has grown out and Billy's about to. You know, there's a plot, you know. Um, I don't know why we didn't give the parents superpowers. <laughs> you know, that would have been nice. Like, not even during, like, the fight at the end. Like, Billy grabs the staff and suddenly he gives powers to his parents and they can be Shazam, Mom and Shazam. They can be, what are the fairly odd parents bits? It's like Mega Mom and Dinah Dad. <laughs> you, you, you don't get to do that. But even at the end when, like, Who's holding the staff? I think Billy. And he's like, hey, who wants superpowers? And the parents raise their hands. Like, how come we didn't do that? I guess, like, there's nothing saying that we didn't do that. But some confirmation would be nice. Maybe in the third one. Um, da, 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 da. Should Billy have died? Here's my thing. When they killed off Billy at the end, I was convinced he was going to come back the same way the wizard did. Because the wizard dies and comes back. I would have loved it, maybe not loved it, but, like, I really thought they were going to kill off Billy. He was going to come back as, like, solely Zachary Levi, right, in his Shazam form. He would get, like, a white costume, and he would basically be the new wizard, taking the place of the old wizard. That way the wizard can just live off and be a normal guy. And, you know, Billy's next step in his life is being the wizard and choosing champions. And, obviously, he'd have his family there, but, like... I don't know, maybe a side effect of the staff or the changing of powers means that, like, he has to be more selective or he only picks Mary and Freddy or he has to pick, like, an entirely new person to be a champion. Like, something like that, you know? But I get it. This is the second movie. You want to kind of return to status quo because you don't know what you're going to do with the third one yet. Um, and, like, when you end on that big of a change, you know, you're expected to do something with it. Um... 
and I only mentioned the whole wizard Billy idea because they did that in the comics for a little while. And it was a really cool idea. It was like Billy became the wizard and his champion was Freddy. You know, I think that could have been a cool idea. Or his champion could be Mary or, or both of them or whatever. Um, point is that could have been a direction for this. Ultimately, I guess I'm more happy that they kept him alive. Like, <laughs> it's kind of hypocritical for me to be like, wow, the second story you do with Shazam, you kill him off at the end? Because that was my opinion of what they did with Superman and, and um, Batman vs. Superman, you know? Um, and hey, speaking of that movie, Wonder Woman, she shows up. Okay. <laughs> I, it it's pretty it's pretty okay right they set up the whole wonder wonder woman thing with billy having a dream about her and then they pull the not showing her face gag only to have a great reveal after that um but her actually showing up at the end i don't know dude like it makes sense because she's connected to all this god stuff but like if she's gonna show up at the end and be like you fix the god problem i'm here to restore power in the staff and bring Billy back. You're welcome. Bye. Like, it feels like, I don't know. I don't know. I like that Billy gets to survive and that the gods get to come back and stuff. Or I I guess they get to regrow the tree. But like, I don't know how I feel about Wonder Woman showing up being like, "Ah, I fixed it and then left, you know? (laughs) Like, dude, if you knew there was stuff going on with the gods, why didn't you show up earlier to help fight the fucking dragon? You know? Um, also, are we still doing Wonder Woman stuff? I guess we're still in, like, the Snyder universe or whatever. So, okay. Is she coming back? <laughs> I know people didn't like the second movie, so, uh, I don't know. It's cool to, to connect those dots and have Shazam actually meet a character from this, this cinematic universe. But, like, it... Even ignoring the fact that they're changing hands and, and doing a soft reboot, even ignoring that, to introduce Wonder Woman, it, it's just going to make you ask questions. I could have assumed she was busy the whole movie, but when she shows up at the end, all I can be like is, okay, what were you doing earlier, though, that you couldn't be here earlier to prevent this kid from even dying? I don't know. I don't know. If you're going to build a god squad, you should start it a bit earlier than that. All right, now for the future and how scary it is. Um, at the end of this movie, there are two post-credit scenes. There's one about the Justice Society and one about Mr. Mind. Um, so, Justice Society, right? They do a whole teaser at the end. Billy's approached by the characters from Suicide Squad that James Gunn loves. So, J- James Gunn's wife and his wife's friend show up to recruit Shazam into the Justice Society. Um, we, we go a little far with Shazam having an obsession with Wonder Woman. But also... Why are we even bothering with the Justice Society? Are we still doing that? Like, I I guess they, they had to film it, so they had to leave it in. But, like, is this the same one from Black Adam? Is that is that con- the connecting tissue here? That, like, in both Black Adam and Shazam, the Justice Society show up? Like, is this the same one with Hawkman and uh, Adam Smasher? Are we getting a Justice Society movie and Shazam's going to be in it? What, what, what are we doing? Like, at least when Marvel does shit like this, they have the forethought to put, like, Thor will return in Avengers, you know? But, like, I just, I don't even know what the thought is here. Like, Shazam has been a member of the Justice Society, and for him to be a kid who turns into a a superhero, and for the Justice Society to have, like, an uneasy, like, uh, truce with Black Adam, yeah, that's something, 
you can grow on that. You can do a Justice Society movie where we kind of look into that a little bit. But, like, I don't really... I don't know if I want that. I don't know. Maybe Shazam 3 will be just, like, Shazam and the Justice Society, you know? But, um... I don't know why we're doing this. <laughs> like, I... Is it gonna go anywhere? Is the Justice Society gonna, like, matter? You know? Um... I don't hate him being on that team. I just... I didn't like that team to begin with. And I don't know why you'd bother, you know? I don't know. I, I, I don't know what... I don't know how to make sense of that. I guess because the league's not really around, but according to that Flash movie we're getting, it is around still. And Wonder Woman's around still. I don't know, dude. Any, the more we connect to the wider universe, the more I'm like, oh, man... I, does this matter? <laughs> is this gonna matter? I don't know. Uh, I I think it could work depending on what the what the roster of the society is. Could be a good opportunity to have Shazam meet Star Girl, who's a love interest of his in the comics. Um, I don't know if we're gonna do anything with that, honestly. Um, and we get Mister Mind. Uh, that's the second teaser. the The second um, post credit scene. Mr. Mind goes to visit Dr. Zavanna, uh, who's still played by Mark Strong. Now, if that sounds familiar, if that sounds like the post-credit of the first movie, um, that's because it fucking is. And <laughs> the, they know, because Savanna has, like, a beard now, and he's like, I've been waiting two years for you to come back and, like, tell me what we're gonna do. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna tell you, but I just gotta go do something else. And Mr. Mind crawls away, and it's gonna take him another two years to come back. Listen... You can do a joke like that. Like, I don't mind that, right? On the surface, I don't mind having a post-credit scene where for the second time you tease Mr. Mind, who's arguably one of the, you know, more iconic Shazam villains. You tease the return of Dr. Savannah. You can give him a beard. You know, that's kind of cool. Like, you can do that twice. But when it's up in the air as to if you're getting a third movie or if your character is even going to make it into the new cinematic universe... I don't appreciate that. And it, it, it makes me worry that when we do get a third one, they're not going to do anything with that. But then again, it'll be during the James Gunn era of these DC movies. So maybe he will do a James Gunn and, and bring Mr. Mind back. But I, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's a bold move. I almost would have preferred it if the end credit was Mr. was like Savannah breaking out of prison and finding Mr. Mind and being like, okay, I broke out. What's the next plan? Like if if they had a long-formed plan and we were seeing bits and pieces of it, you know, I would have liked that a lot. But I don't know. Maybe we'll get, because there's a book called Shazam and the Monsters, the Monster Society, which heavily features Mr. Mind and a group of monsters that he creates. Maybe that'll be the third one and we're leading up to that. But I guess we'll see. Really bold <laughs> post-credit scene in that part. Um, the only other thing with Shazam I can think of, again, other than the Monster Society thing, Justice Society, Black Adam stuff, I wonder, and I don't know if they'll do this because we just did it with Spider-Man, but, like, Billy's gonna be 18, I'm wondering if they're gonna have him go solo, because there's a period of, you know, Shazam comics from very much back in the day, like, his original kind of, um, setup was that Billy Batson was, I think, a child of the... or, uh, like, a ward of the state. He didn't live with, his, like, any parents or foster family. He had his own, like, run-down apartment that he lived in. Um, 
no furniture, you know, just empty drawers and empty cabinets and stuff. Um, but he had that place to himself and he worked as like a newspaper kid. And then he worked as a, um, as a radio host. So I'm wondering if by the next time we get a Shazam movie, you know, Asher Angel will be a little bit older. Maybe he'll be, maybe Billy will be 18 or a little bit older than that. I wonder if we're going to do a thing where Billy's aged out, he's moved out of his parents' place, he has a crappy apartment, and he has a job working for a radio station, or maybe doing, like, uh, reporting or something, maybe. Um, you know, something like that, where he's he's kind of growing into his own and being more of a young man than a child. Um, that would be a kind of interesting an interesting setup. You could kind of use that to introduce, like, Uncle Dudley and maybe Tawny Tiger. I don't know. Some Again, some more traditional Shazam elements. You could establish that the other kids are doing Shazam stuff, but in other parts of the world, or they're doing their own thing as regular people. Like, you can kind of keep that in his back pocket, where at the, like, the end of the film, it's like, oh man, I need all hands on deck for this. I'm going to call up the family. And you have that Spy Kids 3 moment, where all the kids are like being called together. Like, the Spy Kids 3 moment. Like, I was going to get that, but... End of Spy Kids 3, all the characters we know and love assemble, basically. Like, they do an endgame. Um, that'd be a cool... I think that'd be a cool way of doing it, honestly. Like, j- just to give this character a bit more to do that's di- more down-to-earth. Having Billy be a young adult, living in a shitty apartment, doing his own thing. Still being Shazam. But then at the end, calling in his relatives, who are all doing different things with their powers and their, like, you know, adulthood. I'd be into that. That'd be really fun. But yeah, ultimately, um, I, I like the Shazam movies, right? I, I like Zachary Levi, I like Asher Angel, um, I like the the family that they've established. You know, what I like about the movie comes from the superheroes, you know? The the villains have been okay, but I don't know. I, I think I really expected better of this movie. I think there's a lot of missed opportunities to have it be as endearing as the first one. Um, you know, the first one had a lot of heart-tugging moments for me. It made the villain kind of relatable, or at least you understood his, his motivation a bit more. Um, the main character, the main, like, the main protagonist had a bit more of a, you know, closer-to-heart motivation behind him. And the lesson that he learns is one that most people have to when they're in that situation. Like, it just kind of felt like there was more heart in the first one and there was more willingness to have things be a little somber. You know, I think this is this is kind of similar to the situation I had where I loved Thor Ragnarok and then really didn't like Love and Thunder, um, but it's on a much smaller scale. I don't think, you know, in terms of sequels, this disappointed me as much as Love and Thunder did, you know? And I still think that there's parts of Fury of the Gods that's th- th- that are really good, you know? Um, and I guess having high expectations is kind of the downfall of going to see any movie. But, again, based on the first one, I guess I just kind of expected to like the sequel, you know, a bit more than I did. You know, as it stands, I don't know which I'd rather watch more. Um... And that's mainly that mainly comes down to the villains in the first one being really upsetting, um, but again, just as a story and as you know, telling the story of this kid Billy Batson, I think the first one we just did a better job, and I think 
this movie, even if it, you know, could have been as up, uplifting and cheery as it was, I think it needed more of that dourness to really get across, you know, the journey of this character. Um, I'm still hoping he gets a third one. And I do think that if you want to see another movie like another Shazam movie, you should go see this. Um, and hopefully it comes out a little bit better, you know. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for listening. Uh, I do apologize for the last review I did. Um, not really having an ending. I, I, I think it was Ant-Man Quantumania. I, I kind of cut it off before there was an outro. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for listening to these guys. And uh, I guess I'll catch you when the next superhero movie comes out. Off the top of my head, I can't even remember what comes out next. Um, but hey, maybe I'll do the Mario movie too. I know that comes out soon. And uh, that's all I got. So thank you guys for listening so much. I'll catch you guys next time. Bye-bye. This week on Rafi Reviews, Rafi Reviews, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, once and always. Super Shoot Tiger! Okay, so if you haven't seen this, um, Once and Always is a one-hour Netflix special. Uh, it's a reunion of the cast of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, here and there. <laughs> once and always, here and there. And um, it came out a couple weeks ago. I kind of missed the boat on talking about it, but I did watch it when it came out, and I rewatched it uh, before this review. And I want to talk about it because something I don't really get to talk about on the panel biter, um, you know, especially now that we're on a hiatus period, um, is that I'm a fan of Power Rangers. I love the Power Rangers a lot. I grew up watching, you know, various shows. I think I've probably seen like half of the Power Ranger shows that are out right now, and. Uh, uh, I don't know. I might catch up on some of the newer seasons. I don't know. I've I've had a, a an interest in Power Rangers since I was a kid. I was kind of born at the right time to watch it. Um, that being said, Mighty Morphin wasn't my Power Rangers show growing up. I think Mighty Morphin came out in '96, so I was about two. So it was a little bit more than um, you know my, my attention span could stick with. But um, you know, when Power Rangers in Space came out, that was that was my show. You know, Andros, my favorite Red Ranger. Um, Ashley, the Yellow Ranger, was my first, like, uh, like crush, you know. Um, and yeah, I just, I've had a lot of reverence for the series. I've gone back and watched my Morphin. There's definitely bits and pieces I like, bits and pieces I don't like. And this, you know, this reunion special... I, I, I've seen a lot of people who grew up with the show really, really vibe with this. Um, and I've seen a lot of people a bit more divisive about it. I know that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, like, missed opportunities that I guess people want to bring up. Um, obviously there are actors that they either couldn't get back or didn't want to come back to be in the special. And, yeah, so I guess we're just going to talk about, we're just going to talk about the show. Or, you know, I guess this this special. Um, but I guess I should say this, because I, I I didn't have this in my notes. Um, oh, but I probably shouldn't spoil it either. But it's, this isn't really a spoiler. Um, one note I want to give before we talk about anything else is that I think it's commendable that given the cast that they have for this, um, they were able to make a pretty solid storyline for this special. And what I mean by that is, like, it's easy to think that this entire thing, like, the whole story, could have been different 
if they got like the original six Power Rangers to come back and do this special. Um, but I think because of the limitations that they had, they were very creative with the story that they told. It's a lot like when the MCU was starting, where Marvel and Disney didn't have Spider-Man or the X-Men or a lot of the bigger names. So they had to make Iron Man a big name in order to contend with that, in order to make their brand possible. So, you know, sometimes when your strips of options, um, what you have left, you can be creative with and you can make something really good. Um, that being said, if you're wondering if you should watch Once and Always, um, my grade for this is your call. Um, I can't, with all confidence, recommend you go and watch Once and Always. I think if you're a fan of Power Rangers, you should. I think if you only watched Power Rangers back in the, in the day, back in the 90s, like the Mighty Morphin kind, um, I still think you should check it out. They don't really explain, because like, here's the thing, right? So Power Rangers, it started in like 96, and it kept going, and the cast kept changing, the themes, the background, the story, like every show became its own story, and it was all kind of condensed into one universe. Now it's a multiverse, so it's a little bit more complicated, but whatever. Um, the point is that there's going to be some elements of Once and Always, some story threads that aren't really aren't really from Mighty Morphin. Um, there's a very specific reference to Power Rangers in Space, so it's still within kind of the Zordon era of the show, which is to say from Mighty Morphin to Power Rangers in Space. So, you know, there might be some confusion with some story plots. Um, but otherwise, you know, if you, it really depends on how much of a fan of Power Rangers you are. If you have no experience with Power Rangers, I don't think this is going to be for you. Um, if you're a newer fan of Power Rangers, maybe, maybe worth checking it out just to see, you know, where the show kind of got start. I think, <laughs> I think to a newer Power Ranger fan, I would definitely recommend this over a lot of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, like the original show. Um, you know, this, maybe the first movie, like there's <laughs> there's some better Power Ranger content that gives you the idea of what MMPR was than just watching all three seasons. Because um, a lot of that, <laughs> it doesn't hold up in my opinion. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about the characters. We're going to talk about some notes I have. And of course, uh, the ever, the ever scary future, and, and what will come next from this franchise. So uh, let's get into it. So we'll start with Billy, who's played by David Yost. Um, he and Zach are the most uh, aged Rangers. They've been doing doing it the longest. Um, what's interesting about Billy, and this goes for Zach as well, unlike a lot of the original MMPR Rangers, the original five. Um, and I guess as well as um, Tommy, who was played by Jason David Frank. <sighs> Billy and Zach have kind of... They, they've they reappeared the least, along with um, Trini's actress. Um, oh, God, I feel so bad that I can't remember her name. Hold on. Oh, I feel so bad. Oh, I'm going to look at this ago. So... Yeah, Billy, Zach, and Trini kind of showed up the least in supplementary material. Um, the Red Ranger Jason has come back multiple times. Kimberly's come back for... 
was it? Yeah, basically every movie, every Power Rangers movie, um, what's her name? Oh, now I'm forgetting what Kimberly's name is. Uh, uh, I'm so sorry about this. I didn't think I would need to... I would need to remember. Oh, Amy Jo Johnson. Okay. So Amy Jo Johnson, who plays the Pink Ranger Kimberly, has appeared in every movie. But she rarely came back for the show, I think. Um... But yeah, uh, Trini, Trini Kwan, she's very important to this, even though she's not in it. And we, we definitely have to talk about that when we get to um, her daughter in the show. Um, but the short of it is that Trini's actress, uh, Thuy Trang, uh, she passed back in 2001. Um, and this whole kind of reunion special is dedicated to her, which I think is really, really nice. Is also dedicated to Tommy Oliver, uh, or sorry, his actor, Jace David Frank, um, who passed last year. Now, I know that this was planned for a while for for Trang, but I, I think they added in the they added in a JDF like um like a memorial and at the end of the special. But most of it is centered around like Trang's Trang's memory, you know? So that kind of makes it so Zach and Billy are the two oldest and the two to least appear in other Power Rangers material. Um, and I think it's really good that these two are kind of like the deuteragonists, if that's the right word, of once and always. It's nice that they're the ones to come back and do this. Um, because again, they, they've made the least appearances in future stuff, but that being said, um, like a lot of Power Rangers actors, these two did not shy away from conventions, from the fans, they, they sort of embraced that stuff, which I think is really nice. Um, and to my understanding, there's not a lot of ill will between any of them, uh, which is nice too, because I, I know, you know, especially with MMPR, there's a lot to be said about, like, how the actors responded to being part of this huge franchise. Um, I really think you could make a, a really good documentary about the cast of MMPR and, you know, how they developed and everything. Because, the again, I don't want to go on about this for too long because we're talking about a special. But I know that, you know, David Yost is, um, he's he's homosexual and i know he got a lot of flack for that back in 90 in, in 96 um and i know in the case of like uh zach's actor uh walter emmanuel jones he and uh trang and uh oh who's jason's actor austin st john i think they left for um money reasons back in 96 but again that's neither here nor there. My point is that we haven't seen these two in a long time, and it's really nice to see them here again, see them as adults, see that, like, age has not, you know, treated them poorly. <laughs> and so so Billy was my favorite of the MMPR cast, and he was my favorite because, you know, he was the nerd, he was the guy with the glasses, he didn't know anything about fighting, and between those five rangers, it really felt like he did the most growing as a character. It helps that he was along and he was he was around the longest. But mainly, him learning martial arts and 
being an asset to the team, uh, he built like a flying car, you know? <laughs> like he was the first tech guy. He was the first ranger to, and this is in Pyranger Zeo, so show number two. He's the first ranger to step back and be like, I'm not going to be a Power Ranger anymore, but I'm going to stick around and help build stuff for you guys. Um, so he was really kind of the first support ranger or, I guess, former ranger that stuck around. So that was really cool, too. Um, and again, he and Jason David Frank were part of the MMPR cast for the longest, um, which I, th- I think is incredible, you know, despite everything that David Yost had to deal with on set, he stuck around for that long. And, you know, Billy's legacy is, it's huge, you know? You know, as I'm, <laughs> as I'm recording this, my phone has a Blue Ranger Power, or Power Ranger, like, uh, phone cover, you know? He left a big impression, and it's really cool to see him here in this special. He runs his own company. Um, he's also basically uh guilty or at least responsible for the resurrection of Rita Repulsa. He's kind of responsible for the death of Trini in this. And uh, you know, there's definitely a point that we're gonna bring up later about Billy that kind of centers around the entire special. Um but as it stands, um I enjoyed Billy in this. I think it's, you know, it's a return to form. They they didn't go too far out of the park. I think they definitely had Billy deal with things that he couldn't deal with in MMPR. Um, same goes with uh, with Zach. And a lot of that just kind of comes down to, like, personal responsibility. And as much as I like being able to tell these modern stories with Power Rangers and having people, you know, put a finger in Billy's face and, and hold him accountable for something... Um, I think I just need a little bit more. Like, th- th- there's kind of a missing piece in the middle, and we'll talk about that more, of, like, Billy's responsible for the bad things that happened, something in the middle that doesn't exist, and then third, Billy, like, realizing his mistake and apologizing. I think there's a missing piece to this that um we can talk about later. But, yeah, Billy's back. Um, Walter Emmanuel Jones comes back to play as Zach. Um, again... Fan favorite character, really cool to see him back. Uh, for as much as Billy returns with his, you know, super intelligence and his ability to, you know, kind of like host everything, like he has a command center under his place of work. You know, he builds uh, technology that helps them in the special. Um, it it really feels like Billy was was brought back and meant to represent the effectiveness of a Power Ranger in terms of, like, what they can do for the team, I guess. I don't know. Like, adult Billy is the guy who can build tools that can help the Power Rangers solve the problem. And adult Zack is the kind of, you know, stand-in leader who can motivate the Rangers to do the right thing and lead them kind of in the right direction. So you you get fleshed out versions of what Billy and Zach were in MMPR, and it's believable because these guys are adults now. Of course, Billy is smarter and more resourceful. Um, of course, Zach is, uh, you know, still jovial, still a good guy, still happy and, and you know, but also he's able to understand the seriousness of situations. He's able to kind of rally the team together. 
Um, his position in the original show was always like that anyway. He even uh, breaks out his iconic hip-hop Aikido, which is like dancing and also doing martial arts, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have any complaints about that. I think Zach, his character direction in this is really good. I really enjoyed him. Um, and then our third character is, again, who I would say is like the third main character of this, is Charlie Kirsch, who plays Min. Min is the daughter of Trini, who, she's a teenager. Trini dies in the intro of this, protecting Billy from Rita Repulsa. And a year later, Min, uh, like, she finds out very soon after her mom dies that, like, Billy and Zach are all Power Rangers and that Trini, like, the cat's out of the bag almost the same day that she finds out her mom dies. Um, but one year later, uh, basically Rita Repulsa comes back again and Min tries to involve herself in the story. She tries to use, uh, the, the Yellow Ranger Morpher and avenge her mom and get revenge on, uh, Rita and stuff. Um, that's kind of a weird thing, I guess. I, I like that, you know, um. But I don't know, I feel like in the, the history of Patagers, there have definitely been angry, vengeful morphs, you know? I, I guess it's just hard for me to understand the difference between why, why like... Because they, they make it a point, it mostly comes from Zach, but they make it a point that, like, if you try to use a morpher in, in, in like, an attempt to get revenge, the morpher won't work. But I feel like... Again, in my history of watching Power Rangers, that's not entirely true of other characters. And it's also like, like, they destroy Rita anyway at the end of this. Like, spoilers, I guess. But, like, they, they, Rita is dead again, you know? (laughs) So, Min gets to, you know, they get to avenge Trini. But then what is the difference between them all doing it and only Min doing it? Um... I guess I would understand it more if they were more concerned about Min's safety or, you know, if the Morphin Grid, which is like this omniscient source of power for the Power Rangers, if it just didn't accept her because she was fighting with rage instead of fighting, um, you know, for her mom. I don't know. I think there's a way you could have written that to make it less weird that they scold her for wanting revenge, even though they do end up killing Rita Repulsa. You know, so that's a bit of a hole there. The other thing about men, I I like the idea of men. I really do. Because essentially what you have here is you have a new ranger, a new power ranger for this generation, who is not only directly connected to the original show, MMPR, but is quite literally a member of that team. You know, she kind of falls right in the middle. She's a legacy character. She's a new character. And she gets to kind of carry on. Like, it, it kind of feels like everything Power Rangers has been wanting to do for a long time. Like, even though the show keeps going, since like 2000, I don't know, 2016, 2017. It feels like they're always trying to get back to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Like you look at the comic books, the comic books are only are mainly doing Mighty Morphin Power Rangers stuff. You look at the last movie in twenty seventeen. It is a it is inspired directly by Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, 
you know, you have that video game, uh, what is it called? Battle for the Grid. Basically, the entire MMPR cast is in that. Um, every reunion special now, instead of, because what they used to do is they would have, like, so, like, let's say Lost Galaxy is the newest Power Ranger show. They would have a crossover with that in the last show, Power Rangers in Space. And then when Lost Galaxy ends, and they start Lightspeed Rescue, they'd do a crossover with Lost Galaxy. You know, it was like a, a torch passing. You know, that was like the way it was for a long time. And then, I think it might have been with, with Megaforce they did this. With Megaforce, they started bringing back older cast members more frequently for these specials. Um, which meant that, you know, basically David, uh, Jason David Frank, who plays Tommy Oliver, he got to keep coming back for these reunion specials. So the, the reunion specials stopped being about crossing over the current show with the last show and more about reminding people, hey, remember MMPR? Um, even the toys, a lot of the toys, like the, the Lightning Collection toys, a, a majority of them are Mighty Morphin Power Rangers characters, from, like, MMPR to, like, in space. So, like, again, within that area, like, the initial run of the show, basically. Anything that involved Zordon, you know? So, Min, and, like, the fact that they had a reunion special is another thing on top of that pile. But Min, I think, is going to be, hopefully, their way of, of scratching that itch, you know? Because... Again, MMPR, it's the first show. I get it. You want to pay respect to it. But, like, there's plenty of other Power Rangers shows that I think deserve a lot more respect and a lot more, you know, um, remembrance, you know? I, I want to see other shows get honored, too. So, if Min, being this reoccurring character who shows up in, like, new seasons of Power Rangers, and she shows up as the yellow Mighty Morphin Power Ranger and is the one to be like, hey, here's what this is about. I'm still learning a lot, but I'll help you guys out. I think that's the best way to do it. She's still a new character. She's still the voice of a new generation. But she is there to remind you of MMPR. She's there to remind you of the actors that were from that show. And, you know, she gets to carry on. Like, she she is a, is, a, is the best of both. You know, she's a character that represents the past and the future. Um, that being said, and we'll talk about this more... The acting in this is kind of weird because, like, when Charlie Kirsch is acting, it's, like, I can't decide if it's, like, intentionally over the top or if it's poorly done. Which is funny because, again, I've seen people online say that her acting is really good. For me, I don't get that at all. <laughs> um, there, there's a scene where, like, it's... It's after she's had an argument with Zack and Billy. She wants to be a Power Ranger. She wants revenge on Rita Repulsa. And so she's in her yard doing, like, like training. Like, doing high kicks and, you know, hitting the hitting a wooden, like, test dummy or whatever. And she, she her acting, I just don't, I don't like it. <laughs> and it's not even like, I don't get it. Like, she's angry. She's angry at Billy and Zack for benching her. She's angry at Rita. She's talking about how she's, like, not a ranger, but she's gonna be a ranger. And it's just, it's it's a little too over the top for me. And I can't decide if that's on purpose or not, basically. So, I like this character. 
But there are some moments. I, I do think, though, when she's allowed to be the Yellow Ranger and, like, use the, the costume and use the, the daggers, that's all really, like, really good. I like that. I do think she was robbed at the end. Because, again, if you're going to have someone... Basically, before they destroyed Rita Repulsa and, like, her giant monster, um, it's either Billy or Zack, but one of them goes, that's for Trini. And it's like, thank you for not only... Not only taking all of the, like, like all all of the, what's the word? Thank you for not only taking all of the steam out of Min's overarching plot, but also thank you for robbing her of, like, you know, her wanting to avenge her mom. I felt like that was a little weird. Alright, we're going to try to shoot through a couple of these other characters here. Um... Catherine Sutherland returns as uh, Catherine, who is the second Pink Ranger. Um, they confirm without necessarily saying it that Cat and uh, Tommy's character, or sorry, Tommy, played by JDF, um, that they're married and that they have a son named JJ. I, I don't list these characters, but we'll, we'll talk about them anyway at the end here. But um, but Cat is fine. <laughs> I never had a problem with Kat, you know? Um, I don't think I liked her as much as Kimberly, just because I felt like Kimberly had more going on. Um, But that's not any disrespect to Kat. Kat had been around for a long time, too. She had gone through three different shows, three different Pink Ranger identities. I think when she first showed up, she was evil, and she was turned into a house cat, which was weird. Um, But no, I don't have a problem with Catherine, and... I think she's the first character to be Australian or New Zealand, one or the other. Um, she's fine in this. I don't think she gets any real stand-up moments other than like acknowledging um, Tommy and acknowledging their son, JJ. But, uh, yeah, no, I can't really say anything about her. Uh, let's see, we have Steve Cardenas, who returns as Rocky. Um, he's the second Red, uh, Red Ranger. There's a bit more I want to talk about with him. I My thing with Rocky is that I always felt like he had wasted potential, but, like, I I don't dislike the fact that he's kind of laid back, you know, hands-off Red Ranger. You know, a lot of the Red Rangers are kind of expected to be leaders. Rocky was the first one to kind of break that mold, even though he was the second guy, you know? I, I guess it's like, you went from Jason, who was clearly the leader... To Rocky, who clearly wasn't. To Tommy, who obviously was, you know. But, like, I appreciate Rocky. Um, I think, you know, having to be the Red Ranger and not be the main center focus of the show was probably, like, a raw deal for him. When he's introduced in this special, we learn he's a firefighter. And he had been teleported to the command center, like, just after microwaving his, like, leftover Chinese food. And just that alone, just, like, showing he's a firefighter, showing he's eating Chinese, and showing that he's, you know, a bit more of a dad bod. He fights more like a, a bar brawler now. He doesn't do any, like, cool martial arts as much. Um, I like that a lot. And I, it plays a lot to his his past in the show as well. Like, in the parent, in the second movie, where they introduce, like, the turbo Power Ranger powers, um... Rocky's, like, taken off the team. He's replaced with this kid, Justin, who everyone else hates. I don't hate him. Um, but Rocky is off the team because he hurt himself in, like, a, a martial arts, like, practice. 
Like he he did a kick so powerful it broke his back or something. Um, so I can really believe that this guy who used to be a successful martial artist, um, you know, he didn't feel that his injury would like should stop him from doing good heroic things. So he goes into being a firefighter. And when he fights putties, he's more of a brawler. He's he's doing a lot more punches. He's not really doing the fancy karate stuff anymore because that stuff broke his back when he was younger. So I, I think, you know, again, I have nothing against Catherine Sutherland. I have nothing against her being, uh, you know, in this. Uh, I know that she's very attached to this role. I know she, you know, has a big online presence where she's always, I think she has a podcast with like the Yellow Ranger from her show, from her season. But point is, I have nothing against Catherine Sutherland. I have nothing against Catherine. It's a decent character. But I think in terms of reintroducing her in Once and Always, there needed to be more, like, to present her as a character. Because Rocky doesn't get a lot to do in this, right? He doesn't even get, like, a I would say, like, a, a starring moment where he, like, he specifically is the reason things work out. He's very much a secondary character in this, but just by putting him in the outfit you put him in and, like, having him eating Chinese food when he shows up and complaining about it later, you already give him a million times more personality than him showing up and being like, oh, I was taking my kid to school. Um, so I think I think Catherine just needs a little bit more of that, um, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, Rocky is good. We like we, we like Rocky here. Let's see, uh, Johnny Young Bosch comes back as Adam, and Karen Ashley comes back as Aisha. Uh, Adam was the second Black Ranger, and Aisha was the second Yellow Ranger. Um, I, okay, <laughs> they're both in space for this, so they're barely in this. Um, but they're, I guess, running Space, space Patrol Alpha, which is a tie-in to Power Rangers SPD. So that's cool, cool continuity. Um, they even mention, I think, something that happens in SBD or, you know, is connected to a character from SBD. So that's really cool. Um, I love Johnny Young Bosch. He's, he's a great voice actor. And, you know, I think Adam's a decent character too. Adam was never my favorite, but then when he shows up in Operation Overdrive, uh, he's like top of the chain for me. You know what it is? I think I like Adam more when he reappears and stuff. You know, like he, he reappears in Pioneers in Space to like help Carlos get his groove back. And I love that shit. That was really good. Um, and then Karen Ashley as Aisha, she's a mixed bag for me. Um, my most vivid memory of her is her in the movie being like the bear ninja. Because I love bears. So that was my first thought. Um, but I also remember when they transitioned to Pioneers Zio, not only did Billy leave the team he wasn't a power ranger but also um aisha left and this girl tanya took her place um i don't remember the specific reasons as to why that switch happened but um i <laughs> it sounds bad but i remember liking tanya more than aisha and it mainly just came from like the variety of her character tanya was uh like legitimately from africa which i thought was kind of cool um, that being said, I have nothing against Aisha. I think Aisha's cool. I think they're, you know, it would have been nice to have more from both Adam and Aisha, but her showing up and telling men, I'm glad that you have the saber-toothed tiger power. You know, I'm glad it's in good hands because obviously after Trini, 
Aisha probably would have been in line to be the Yellow Ranger again because that's what she did originally. She was the second Yellow Ranger. Um, so if anyone would have a conversation with Min about being the Yellow Ranger, it would be this chick, you know? Um, it would have been nice to have more of that, though. We got uh, Richard Stephen Horvitz back as Alpha. Alpha is a robot, obviously. Um, I love Richard Stephen Horvitz. He voices Invader Zim. He voices... Uh, I think he voices Billy from Billy and Mandy, and he voices Grey Matter from Ben 10, uh, so that's really cool. I really like this voice actor, so him coming back and doing Alpha was really fun. Um, this is Alpha 9, because they make it a point to say Alpha 8 was corrupted by the soul of Rita Repulsa and was turned into Robo Rita. So, sucks to be Alpha 8, I guess. <laughs> They never even get him back. They straight up destroy the robot. So, like, he's he's gone. All right. I guess the other alphas just don't really matter or, matter or care. I don't know. But, um, yeah, talking about her, they got Barbara, Good, uh, Barbara Goodson, who voiced Rita back in MMPR, voiced her, to come back and voice Rita Repulsa in this. Like, she's a robot. She's a robot. She is Robo Rita Repulsa. Um, which I think was smart. That was a really good way of getting around. Because you want to bring Rita back. I think of, like, the MMPR villains. Like, like Goldar got brought, brought back in one of the shows. Um, Lord Zed was brought back in the last Power Rangers show. Um, Dino Fury? So, Rita was the one, you know, logically you want to bring back next. Either her or Scorpina, I guess. But, like, <laughs> what makes Rita tough is that she was played by a person. So, turning her into a robot, I think, makes perfect sense. Um, it's also interesting because for the longest time, Rita was, of course, like, the witch. Like, her whole thing was magic-based. So, turning her into a robot and centering her plan around building a machine that is a time machine, basically, is really cool. Because you're merging magic and science. You're doing something new with Rita that she really wasn't, like, like known to do, which is, like, technology-based um, plots. So, I think that's really cool. I think Barbara Goodson brings 100% back again. I think it's so cool, because this is a more mature Power Rangers story, it's so cool to hear Rita Repulsa's voice actor say stuff like, oh, I'll kill you in your sleep before Zordon can, can find you. <laughs> or like, I killed your friend, I killed your mom. Like, that's really good. I never thought in my life I would ever hear Rita Repulsa make such serious threats like that. Um, yeah, she's really good in this. She's actually, like, a, a force to be reckoned with, with. That's nice, too. Because, like, whatever. Pounders have fought Goldar since day one. Lord Zed, okay, that's fine, too. He looks like he could fight. But, like, I don't remember the MMPR cast ever fighting Rita Repulsa, like, one-on-one. -on -one. And you get that in this, and it's really cool. Um, and again, I didn't want to mention these guys because they're not really in it, in it, but, um, you got Austin St. John, who plays Jason, uh, Jason David Frank, who plays Tommy, and, oh, uh, uh, Sui Trang, who plays, uh, uh, Trini, and then Amy Jo Johnson, who plays Kimberly. So, red, green, yellow, pink, the originals. They're in this, and as much as their costumes are in it, <laughs> um, 
and their voices are there in as much as they use voice lines from previous episodes. And that's about it. Um, again, at the very end of this, um, there's a memorial for Trini, for, sorry, for Trang and Jason David Frank, you know, in loving memory. They, they play a little song bit too, which is nice because the song was sung by Amy Jo Johnson in the original show of NPR. Um, that's really sweet. I also read that there's a prequel comic coming out for Once and Always that is written by Amy Jo Johnson, which is really cool. So, you know, it feels like everyone kind of did their part for this and was involved in some way. And again, it would have been nice to get as many of the actors as you could back for this. Um, I guess mainly Amy Jo Johnson and and, uh, Austin J. John. But, uh, you know, again, you work with what you have, and and I don't... It didn't. It wasn't distracting to me at all, really. Um, I, I guess it was a little bit, but like, basically halfway through, you kind of forget that that stuff happens, and it never really upset me because a lot of those actors had come back for other stuff before, and I think it would have maybe not soured bringing back David Yost and and Walter Emanuel Jones, but at the very least, it would have made it feel a little bit less special because the the whole thing kind of focuses on them, to have to bring back, like, the, like, just Tommy and Jason alone would have owned up too much of the screen time to really appreciate what they were doing with, with Zach and Billy. Um, that's at least what I believe. All right, a couple of quick notes to go through here. Um, some that I've already talked about, but here we go. Um, the fight at the end, where they bring in the Megazord, uh, looks fan-made. <laughs> um, and that's an insult to fan-made content. You know, I think... Because I remember hearing that the Megazord suit from MMPR had reappeared in something Super Sentai related. Um, I think it probably would have been within their budget to get a new Megazord costume made. I I really wish that's what they did. Because it's it's the reunion special. You brought back all these people. It would have been nice to have like a... Like doing a mix of, of... practical and digital effects just so you can get another fight reminiscent of MMPR with like some dude in a big robot suit. Um, that's one thing. I understand why they did what they did, but I really wish it was a, a costume fight. Um, let's see. Here, here's an obvious one, but I feel like this might have been too short. I would, have, I would have appreciated maybe another half hour to 15 minutes solely to flesh out Rocky and Cat a bit more because they're again, you have a five ranger team. You you have like your new kind of like mix of Gen One, Gen Two, and Gen Three MMPR characters. Um, and I think that's really cool. The only problem is the second like the second generation Power Rangers don't get a lot to to do, or a lot of background to what their lives are like, and I understand. It's kind of unrelated to what's going on with men. Oh, excuse me. And, and it's like, I get it. Like, Rocky and, and Catherine didn't really know Trini. But I don't know, dude. It just feels weird for them to show up and, like, them feel like... In in any Power Rangers show, in, like, the core five characters, it never really feels like... At least it shouldn't feel like two of them are disposable. And that's kind of... For as much as I like Rocky in this and as for much as Cat exists... Um, I didn't want to feel like any of these characters could have been swapped out for anyone else. 
you know, and especially in the case of Rocky and Cat, because they're there to take the spot of like Jason and um, Kimberly, who I know if they were in this, they'd get a lot more to do. So, you know, paying a bit more respect to that would have been nice. Um, <clears throat> I appreciate the tone of this. Um, I didn't mind that it was a bit more serious in some parts. I didn't mind that they said stuff like death and kill. Um, and of course the subject matter is a bit heavier. I get that too. Like this is way, this is way more for the fans that kind of grew up with the show. So I'm fine with that. Um, again, I'm really, I'm really down the middle about the acting in this. On one hand, I wish these guys did a bit more with their performances. And on the other hand, I understand that, you know, they haven't acted in a long time, but like even Dave Batista took acting lessons, you know, um, but again, like I, I think an easy way to kind of cover your tracks is to say, well, the acting in Pirates from the '90s wasn't that great either. Um, but to that, I say it is a new world, <laughs> you know. Um, so I really, my criticism is mainly not having a like a good enough fix of the acting in this to have a real criticism. I guess it's like if it's supposed to feel like '96, then you've achieved it. But if it's overacting just because these these people haven't acted in a long time, especially, like, a cat doesn't really do a good job of this as acting. Um, and again, I had a problem with a lot of what um, Charlie Kirsch was doing. But whatever, right? If my criticism is that I can't decide if this is good or intentionally bad, I think that's not a really bad criticism to have. Um, and then my last point, my last note here, it's a big one, it's the one I've been teasing all this time. It's my, it's my chestnut of this review. It's the meat inside the burger. Um, or I guess it's the fruit inside the smoothie from the juice bar. Um, the juice bar looked cheap as fuck, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's supposed to be tastefully recreated, but you're telling me this place hasn't changed in, like, 20 years? Whatever. Um, I would have appreciated seeing more locations, like the school and the park. Whatever. Whatever. The, the there's a part missing from this that I think needed more. So the whole story is kicked off by the fact that Billy tried using technology to bring Zordon back to life. And I don't... There's a super technical way of going about that because Zordon was never technically alive or dead. He was stuck in another dimension or some shit. And then in Power in Space, uh, Andros had to shatter the tube uh, that that Zordon was being kept in, and it when he shattered it, it released a Z-Wave. And the Z-Wave turned all the bad guys in the galaxy into good guys, um, except, like, Trakina and, uh, and, I guess, Mezagog and, and all the other future villains. The future villains all get to be villains. But, like, basically, when Zordon dies, everyone who had been a villain up to that point is turned good. Unless they're like a robot or something, in which case they're destroyed. So fuck off, Ecliptor. Sorry. Um, but like, Zordon's death got rid of the bad guys for a while, right? Which made it kind of confusing when like Goldar and Zordon, or, or not Zordon, when like Lord Zed is brought back to life. Because it's like, dude, I saw that episode of Parent in Space. Lord Zed turned into like a dude. He turned into like a middle-aged, like, 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 Salary man, I saw that shit. What we learn here is that Zordon didn't destroy like 
all the villains. They, they make an example out of Rita. Because, like, when Billy tries to bring Zordon back um, into the tube that he recovered, it has, like, a little scar mark on it, like a crack from where Andros hit it. Which is, like, I, listen, I know I'm biased because I love Andros and I love Paragons in Space, but, like, just mention his name for crying out loud. He's the one that shattered it. Anyway, Billy's trying to bring Zordon back into the tube. And by accident, he brings the spirit of Rita Repulsa back. And we learn that when the Z-Wave went out and Zordon supposedly converted all the bad guys to good guys, the evil in Rita Repulsa separated. It it wasn't, like, destroyed. It separated from Rita's original body. So technically, Rita Repulsa is still alive in the Power Rangers universe. Um, She kind of reappears in Power Rangers Mystic Force as, like, a deity, which is really cool. Um, but that's, like, her good part, that's, like, her physical form, and all the evil in her was expunged into this multidimensional spirit, which Billy accidentally brought back, and then the spirit possesses Alpha 8, and then transforms Alpha 8 into Robo Rita, who immediately can create putties, goes back to her base on the moon, picks up like nothing happened, makes a machine that, like converts the power of captured Power Rangers into time travel power. And listen, I'm fine with that. I don't give a shit, right? You, you want to tell me Rita Repulsa went on this solo mission to wipe out all these Power Rangers and capture them? That's cool. Fucking put that in a comic book. I'll read it. Or, or show me, like, one or two fights. You don't need to, like, bring back any of the actors, but, like, show Rita fighting, like the suited-up rangers from Power Rangers Zeo or something. Actually, that would be kind of conflicting and weird. Show me Rita fighting the Lost Galaxy team. I don't care, right? My point is that Billy wanted to bring Zordon back without a reason. You know, when Zordon was, like, destroyed, in quotations, destroyed in Power Rangers in space, it was, like, 2001? Like... Like, by that point, Billy wasn't even in the show anymore. And, like, I I either need to hear... I either need to hear that Billy tried bringing Zordon back since the day Zordon was destroyed. And he just never had any luck with it until now. Or something happened in Billy's life that made him want to bring Zordon back. And when he started this project, Trini was still alive. So it couldn't have been a thing of, like... You know, someone died, I'm a Zordon, I'm going to bring them back so I don't think about who died. Like, it's not that, right? It's just like, for no reason at all, we're not told why Billy wants to bring Zordon back. And we don't know if he's just been trying to do it since Zordon died, or if something happened that made him have that revelation. Or it's something that he always wanted to do and just never had the technology and resources to do it. So, I needed that, right? And I needed that, importantly... Because the story isn't just about Billy, it's about Min and Zack. Now, Zack kind of plays a guide to Min's character arc. But Min's character arc is learning to, you know, accept that revenge isn't going to bring her mother back. And she thinks that getting revenge and killing Rita is going to help her accept that her mother is gone. It's about acceptance. And it's about, you know, learning that who's that this person is gone and, you know, you have to, you can't live in sorrow over them being gone, you know? And that's a very important lesson. That's a very important lesson for kids who, who like Power Rangers. 
that's a very important lesson for people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, you know, who still enjoy Power Rangers or remember enjoying it. And they're adults now. Like, everyone deals with death and everyone deals with having to move on. And Min was the perfect opportunity to tell that story. And I think the way you could have squared that circle a lot better, the way you could have connected to not only the younger audience by having Min move on from her, her mother's death, is having Billy, like, just give him a couple scenes. You know, he, he acknowledges... He, he acknowledges that, like, all of this is his fault. And that he he caused Robo Rita to come back and stuff like that. He acknowledges it's his fault. And he acknowledges that, like, you know... He, like, he feels bad that Trini saved him. He... he <coughs> excuse me. He even reminisces that, like, Trini was always looking out for him. And that's nice. And I know it's about Trini. But I, I think the missing part of this whole thing, of, of once and always is that Billy never gets to talk about why he wanted to bring Zordon back, and he never gets to talk about how by the end of this, he has to accept that Zordon's gone. Because that's that's ultimately what they do. Like, after the Reader Repulsive stuff is handled, no one talks about bringing Zordon back again. And I know they have a short, you know, time period. They, they basically kill Reader Repulsa, and then, then, then they go get juice shakes at the bar. But, like... <clears throat> I think what needed to happen was that you have Min and Billy learn to accept that when people are gone, they're gone. And you can't avenge them to make up for the loss. You can't, you know, move heaven and earth to bring them back to life. Otherwise, bad things happen, you know? When you mess with the nature of things, bad things happen. I think both of them needed to learn that in their own way and come to an agreement about it. And that's another way you connect the past generation to the new generation, you know, it's the way you you make the life of a Power Ranger just a little bit less glamorous. Because, you know, things don't always go wrong, but when they do, you can't go back and fix them. Um, and I think that it's, it's bittersweet, but it's something. It's something that gives a bit more connective tissue. I think Once and Always was missing a connective tissue like that. And it was missing the opportunity to... And they, they kind of do this with Zach because they show Zach's more sensitive side in this. But they missed the opportunity to point a finger at Billy and, and hold a mirror to him. Like this character who changed the most from being a Power Ranger. And, you know, gained the most from being around people like, like Trini and Zordon. <laughs> and... Never acknowledging that by him trying to bring Zordon back, he's essentially just trying to, like, rewind the clock, you know? Like, he's he's successful. He has a business. He still has close relationships with his friends. Maybe you talk about he, he doesn't have much of a family. Like, he doesn't have, like, a partner or kids or anything. But this was your opportunity to show that side of Billy and show that there is a part of him that you know, still wants something and still thinks that he needs something. There's still a part of him that thinks he might need Zordon still, even as an adult. Um, and again, I just feel like that's too, that's too juicy of a potential plot line to just outright ignore and to kind of skip over and say, yeah, it was a dumb idea. Anyway, let's have juice. All right, let's talk about the future and how scary it is. Um, my first thing for the future um can we bring back more dark sides of purified villains uh specifically i'd love to see 
diva talks come back. I remember having a crush on her too when I was little. But um, she's another villain who was involved in the Z-Wave and was turned into, I guess, just a nice lady. Like, it's weird. Like, the Divatox was like a space pirate. And then she's hit by Zordon Z-Wave, which is what the kids are calling it nowadays. And she just turns into, like, a nice lady in a white dress just dancing on the moon or something. It's weird. Give me back bad Divatox. Like... Her actress still looks good. You can totally just put her back in the outfit and set her off, dude. Um, I'd love that. That'd be so cool. But, like, I'm sure there's other villains that I'm not thinking of who could kind of fit that. Like, you could bring a clip door back and maybe have him be a good guy. That'd be kind of fun. Um, we already brought back Lord Zed. They never sure what happened to Scorpina, so you can bring Scorpina back. She's cool. Um, but ju- just... This huge revelation, and I haven't seen a lot of Power Ranger fans talk about it, but this huge revelation that once and always basically confirms that just because a character was turned good by the Z-Wave doesn't mean that, like, their evil was expunged from, like, the universe. Like, it's out there somewhere. It can be drawn. It could possess things. Like, like these characters were turned good, but not completely. Like, their, their evils are still out there. That's really cool to me. I like that idea a lot, actually. Um, that brings me to my next point. Will there, will there be more reunion specials? Um, because I think there's an argument for that. You know, you, you could do a thing where it kind of spans eras. Like, we just did Mighty Morphin. What if we, you know, did the show, like, the show that happened after the Mighty Morphin era kind of ended? Because Mighty Morphin goes into Zeo, Zeo goes into Turbo, Turbo goes into Space. What if we did a Lost Galaxy reunion? Or if we're sticking in that era, uh, 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 Time Force reunion. Time Force was a big one. And, you know, after that you could do your SBD reunion. You could do a lot of reunions, you know. Um, or are we just going to explore that first era of the show, that first, like, six to ten years of the show? Like, we did MMPR. Next we're doing the Zeo reunion where it's, I don't know, four people? Um, <laughs> oops. Um... We're going to do the Turbo Reunion, where the only one who's changed the most from aging is the kid, because now he's like 40. Uh, or we're going to do the In Space Reunion, where Raffi dies happy, and then, you know, that'll be it. <laughs> um, I'd be down. I'd be down for another reunion special. No, not another MMPR. <laughs> That's a good name. Not another MMPR reunion. Um, yeah, don't do that. If, you, if you're going to do that, I will say, if you want to do another... If you want to really bring back Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, do it, but have Min be, like, the only returning character, and then cast four new teenage characters to be the other four Rangers. Um, and then you can you can finally cast Tommy Oliver's son to, like, be there and be the new Green Ranger, right? That's one idea. Because that was another note of mine, is, like, what do you do with Min now? Because you could give Min her own show where she's leading the next generation of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers... Which is fine. I like that idea too. That gives you opportunities to bring back Billy and Zach and, and Adam and stuff. Or, and I feel like this is way more possible. I feel like in the next show for Power Rangers, Cosmic Fury, uh, I feel like Min's going to show up. Like they're already talking about how Cosmic Fury is going to have the Rangers cross over with other Power Rangers from other shows. I think Cosmic Fury is a great place for Min to show up. Especially because, ooh, this is, a good, this is another going ready for this? Ready for this. In Power Rangers Cosmic Fury, 
the team, it's like a six-person team, there is no Yellow Ranger. That just feels obvious. That just feels like no fucking shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a Gold Ranger. There's no Yellow Ranger. Um, so that that could be where Min goes next. I think that'd be really cool. That'd be really fun. I'd like that a lot. Um, and then my, my last thing for the future is, like, are we going to get more original content? Because, like, reunions are cool, but now that we know they can do Netflix specials, and we know Cosmic Fury is going to be on Netflix, I think, exclusively, this is a good opportunity. <laughs> like, whatever money you're not using on Cosmic Fury, please, like... Do the next Power Ranger season on Netflix, you know? Have more original content. Like, you can bring back old suits, you can make new suits, whatever. Like, Netflix and the fact that they're doing original stuff with Power Rangers uh, has so much potential to not only explore older Power Ranger characters, but also to expand the the universe further going on, you know? Um, They could do stories about, like, a, a solo Power Ranger on another planet, they can do stories about retired Power Rangers trying to live normal lives and getting, like, roped up into some, like, Luke Cage-ass, like, civilian... Like, a a street-level show about, like, TJ and Justin from... Like, just get the Turbo Cast. That's your reunion. For the Turbo Cast, put them on a street-level adventure where they can't be Power Rangers, but they have to be, like, street-level Power Rangers with, like, DIY costumes and stuff. And they have to stop this drug bust... And ultimately, the person in front, like, in charge of this organized crime in the city is the, is, is Diva Talks, like, her evil part brought into a new human body. There you go. I just gave you the Turbo special. Turbo, once and always. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's really everything I have to say about once and always. I liked once and always. I like the potential of it, what, what it could mean for Power Rangers going forward. Um... I like that it brought back so many, you know, characters that haven't been seen in a while. It would be nice to see Billy and Zack come back for other stuff. I think Min really has a, a future in this this franchise, and I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Cosmic Fury when it comes out and, and judging that for myself. But again, this is entirely your call. If you're into Power Rangers, this is perfect. If you remember it, I'd give it a shot. And if you're a little too new with Power Rangers... Check out some other stuff before you check this out. Um, as always, I appreciate you guys listening through this and following me and, and following all the reviews I do. And that's great. And, you know, I know that a lot of these are getting a bit more low effort. You know, I don't do them as often. But just know that I super appreciate anyone that follows me and and enjoys listening to my opinion on these shows and movies and stuff. That's that's always really... That makes me happy, honestly. Um, but yeah... Go <laughs> go check out Once and Always if you're interested. The next review I'm going to do is Volume 3 of Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm probably going to do that review tomorrow. Um, if you haven't bought Pavement, buy Pavement. I th- the font is all fixed, so it's a good book now. And, uh, you know, follow me on Amazon, you know, my, my publisher page, because uh, the stuff I write going forward is going to show up there. So, uh, yes, thank you. Have a great night. And uh, I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.